0: Extreme weather events are increasing in frequency and intensity because of climate change. Pregnant people and newborns are particularly vulnerable to health harms associated with the consequences of climate change, including wildfires, stronger hurricanes, and extreme heat. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Sonia Rasmussen, a professor of genetic medicine at Johns Hopkins University. Dr. Rasmussen has co-authored a perspective article about the effects of climate change on pregnant people and babies. Dr. Rasmussen, your perspective article focuses in part on the effect of wildfires, which, as you write, have become more widespread, hotter, and faster burning. So how do wildfires affect pregnant people and babies in particular?
1: Well, wildfires, as is the case with other public health emergencies, put all of our health at risk. But there are certain populations that are at higher risk, the elderly, young children, people who... Can't escape those, can't evacuate because of socioeconomic reasons. And then, of course, pregnant persons was what we were focusing on and their babies. And there are some data that show that the wildfires or the effects of wildfires on air quality can have adverse effects on pregnant people, pregnancy related conditions are at increased risk, like gestational hypertension or gestational diabetes, and effects on the babies, things like preterm birth for gestational age, fetal death, and other sorts of issues, even birth effects related to problems with air quality. The other big concern when there are these extreme weather events is that oftentimes there's disruption in prenatal care. And of course, prenatal care is important for the health of the mom and the health of the baby during pregnancy. So that disruption, as for example, we saw with Hurricane Katrina, as people were displaced from their homes, has a significant effect on health because of disruption in prenatal care.
0: And then, what about other events that have been linked to climate change, such as heat waves and stronger hurricanes? What effects can they have during pregnancy or on the newborn child?
1: We don't have all of the answers of all the effects, but what we've seen is that these climate change associated effects can have adverse effects on baby's health, on mom's health, and on mental health sort of issues that can be seen during pregnancy. I think there is some more research that needs to be done, but we have a lot of evidence right now that climate change associated events, the consequences of climate change are having a negative impact on pregnant persons and their babies.
0: And you say in your article that the consequences of these extreme weather events can have long term intergenerational effects as well. So what do you mean by that? Well,
1: of course, healthier mothers have healthier babies or healthier parents have healthier babies. And so some of the complications that are happening in babies because of climate change, such as small for gestational age, can have long-term effects on a person's health. And so if those effects then go on to affect the health of a future parent, those parents can have babies with poor health. So you can see how this can be a cycle of setting us up for worse health in future generations.
0: A lot of your work has focused on emerging infectious diseases. So can you say something about the similarities between responding to infectious disease outbreaks and responding to the effects of climate change?
1: We believe that there are some lessons that can be learned from some of the work that was done on emerging infections that can be extended to addressing the effects of climate change. And one of the first lessons that we learned with emerging infections is that planning makes a difference. If you think of these issues before there's emerging infection on your horizon, you're better off. And as an example, in the early 2000s, there was a lot of effort from the federal government. This was a broad effort, not related just specifically to pregnancy, but to prepare for a future influenza pandemic. And as part of that preparation, CDC really focused on vulnerable populations, populations that we expected might have more difficulty in an influenza pandemic. and one of those populations was pregnant persons. We knew that pregnant persons get more sick from influenza, and that can cause pregnancy complications. And so in April of 2008, a group of us at CDC, um, my co-author Denise Jamison, and I were at CDC at the time, and we and a group of others put together a meeting, and it was bringing in experts from around the country, some from internationally, to discuss those challenges that we expected that we'd be faced in a future influenza pandemic. Also at that meeting were some of the key partners such as members of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. And those people gave CDC input on some really critical questions. And one of the biggest ones was, should pregnant persons receive treatment with an antiviral medication? We knew pregnant persons got sicker from influenza. We didn't know whether that would be the case with the new pandemic influenza. At that point, we didn't know what the new influenza would be, but we did have a long discussion there and received a lot of input from those experts and from the partners that were at the meeting that the benefits of antiviral medications like oseltamivir, Tamiflu, would outweigh the potential risks. We didn't have a lot of data about safety at that time, but we felt that and the input that we received was that the benefits would outweigh the potential risks. That led then a year later when the pandemic hit, when the 2009 H1N1 pandemic occurred, that led to a recommendation that a pregnant persons should be treated with oseltamivir, which later showed to be really important. We found that treatment reduced the risk of admission to an intensive care unit and reduced the likelihood of. Pregnant persons dying.
0: Beyond that sort of activity and beyond the need for more research, which you've also just mentioned, what steps could be taken on the federal or state level to combat the effects of climate change on these populations?
1: I think there are kind of two different areas. One is that we need more information. And another lesson that we learned from infectious
0: disease responses
1: is that it's really hard to set up a surveillance system or a research program in the middle of an emerging infection response. You're worried every day about what you can do to protect the health of moms and babies. And it's hard to be at the same time trying to set up a research program. And so I think one of the things that's important is to be sure that those programs to collect surveillance data are in place or to collect research data are in place in advance. And I think we kind of learned that along the way. We didn't do that before 2009 H1N1 influenza, but after learning from that, the United Kingdom actually put a project in place that they then hibernated that was available and was able to be used during COVID-19. CDC, after Zika, was able to build on the infrastructure from the Zika response from the U.S. Zika Pregnancy Registry, they were able to build on that, and set it up for future events to collect information on COVID-19. And both of those were critical for the response to COVID-19 because they were able to collect information quickly about babies. The other thing is that there are other ways that you can work to protect mothers and babies. And some of that is, again, part of that planning, that trying to develop guidance For parents, for example, that live in an area, pregnant persons that live in an area, say, that is highly prone to hurricanes or wildfires, how should they prepare? They want to have enough of their medications available. They want to have access to their medical records. We don't want them to be trying to pull that together just as they're trying to evacuate. I think there's also planning that needs to be done on the level of hospitals and healthcare centers because pregnant persons still need to deliver babies, even if there's an emergency. And certainly we saw that with COVID-19, where a lot of people were trying to avoid hospitals. If you're going to have a baby, you need health care. And so I think one of the other important areas is for health care systems to be planning for extreme weather events. We know, based on what we know about climate change, these are going to occur more frequently. This isn't just the federal government or a public health response. We need patients. We need I think ACOG to do things, and we need hospitals to do things, and it's a multi level.
0: Thank you, Dr. Rasmussen.